I'd love for you to look at these verses with me this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes, beginning with verse 17, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Some of you are going, I had no idea that was in there. I, 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 I've read over that. I, I, haven't, I haven't stopped to pause the significance of this. When you come together, it's worse, not better. Can you imagine a church gathering that was hurtful, which we'll discover hurtful to other members and hurtful to the name of Christ in the community? And that's what we're seeing here. He goes on in verse 18 to say, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I, and I believe it in part, he says, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So Paul begins by rebuking them. He says, listen, when you gather together, you've got your cliques, you've got your factions, you've got your divisions, you group up. Instead of the church in Corinth being united together, sharing in communion, co-communion together, there were divisions and factions. They, they, were, they were the rule, not the exception. He goes on in verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. You've, you've twisted and distorted this so much. It's not even the Lord's Supper anymore, he says. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No. Now, let me, let me give you a picture of what's taking place. Now, when they gathered for the Lord's Supper, it's a little different than what we're doing here. This is a little more formalized. They would have gathered in homes. because, And, and that's what happens in many parts of the world with the church is that's exactly what they do. They gather in, in homes. They don't have a building, because, either because it's not legal or because they can't afford it or whatever, so they would gather in homes. And they would celebrate together what we might consider a, a potluck or a covered dish meal. People would bring the food, and so they would actually have a feast. And as part of that love feast... Part of that would be the Lord's Supper. And so the Lord's Supper would be part of a larger meal that they would have together. Now in Corinth, which is a Roman city, the, the, they would have to gather in a probably a little bit larger house, and so it would have to be somebody with a little bit of means, with a little bit of wealth. And the traditional Roman-style house would have a, a... Well, here's... Lo and behold, here's a picture of one. Imagine that. I've circled two things on there. One, the triclinium. Anybody have a triclinium in their home? Anybody? Okay, nobody. Okay, the triclinium was the, the dining room. And it's tri, meaning three, of course. It was basically a three-sided table. There would be couches kind of in a U-shape. And then the table would be between them. And they would recline so you get this triclinium. That's where the, the, the family and the, and the honored guests, that's where they would eat. 
And then they had a place, an atrium. It was an outdoor area. And that's where the servants would gather and where they would eat. But they would eat standing up. They didn't have tables or couches or anything. They'd, they'd just eat standing up or wherever they could find a place to sit down. This was, this was normal. This was the, the way things were. Each of these homes would have a number of servants. They'd be separated from the family and guests. Off. They, could, they could hear what was going on because they were there to serve, remember? They had to be available, but that's where they ate, separate from where the family and the guests ate. Now, being raised in this society, this was the norm for them. This is what they were used to doing. They brought that practice over into the church. And so those of means, those who were honored, those who were well-respected, those who had wealth would gather in that triclinium area. They would gather in that area and they would have dinner and their food would be much better than the average person's food. They would, be, they would have an abundance of the best of food and wine while the others were, were out in the atrium standing, eating lesser foods, if any food was left. Because remember, those of wealth could afford to take off early to get started. Those who didn't have wealth, who didn't have means, who were day laborers, which most were, would have to come when they could get off work. And so they may show up too late to eat at all. Nothing left for them at all. This division existed in the culture. But Paul is rebuking them because divisions like this should not exist in the church. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in the third chapter of Galatians that these distinctions, these things that divide us, are no longer of significance in Christ. We are one in Christ. And so Paul's actually pretty ticked off about this because this kind of self-centered gratification and disregard for the poor was not what Jesus had in mind when he established the church. This is not what he had created, and yet this is what was happening there in the city of Corinth. And so Paul is, is rebuking them. Then he goes on to explain the significance. These are the verses we typically read when we have the Lord's Supper, but they are surrounded by these other verses that I think you, we all need to hear today. But this is what he says in verse 23. This is what we typically have. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me and in the same way. He also took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. With those verses in the background, and let me summarize it as best I can. What he's trying to tell them is, hey folks, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about self-gratification. It, it's about sacrifice. 
It's not about ignoring and neglecting your fellow believers. It's about sharing together with them, remembering Jesus' sacrifice. It's not about magnifying your differences. It's about celebrating your unity in Jesus. And then I want you to notice what Paul says next because this, these verses are, are in this setting. He says this next, beginning in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now there's a lot here. But based on what Paul is saying, based on the context of these verses, eating and drinking in an unworthy manner means doing so in a fragmented, self-centered, uncaring attitude towards the less well-off within the church. They were eating and drinking and laughing within sight and earshot of men and women whose stomachs were growling. And Paul says, that's not the way it ought to be in the church of Jesus Christ. When Paul says, examine yourself, he's not simply saying, look within. You know, to have a time of introspection and look for any hidden sins that you might want to confess to the Lord. I would think that's certainly part of what we do but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, look at how you live, how you relate to other people, especially people in the family of faith. Because that tells you a lot about what's truly in your heart. We say as part of our vision statement, the third part of that is that we, we are becoming more like Jesus daily in attitude and action. And that's exactly what Paul was trying to get across here is that your attitude and your actions are not like Christ. You're celebrating and feasting to the point of getting drunk at a church service while people in the next room or having to stand up, can't even sit down, being treated like second or third class citizens, getting very little, if anything, to eat themselves, and having to listen to the party next door. That's what Jesus means about eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, and that is one of the reasons that we as a church tie together this celebration of the Lord's Supper with our benevolence offering. Think about it. It is an opportunity for us to express with our giving at least 
an opportunity for us to say, God, you have blessed us to be a blessing. There are people in the life of the church, I may not even know their names, I may not even know their situations, but there are people who are having trouble with putting food on the table, with keeping their heat on in the winter, with making a car payment because of medical bills. There are all kinds of issues that arise in the life of the church, and and we as a church want to respond to meet that need. In fact, this is actually broader than this because a part of what we give in our benevolence offering actually goes to Green County Christian Outreach to help meet broader needs within our community. And so it makes perfect sense that we would tie together something like this with an expression of our love and compassion for others who have need. Now, I'm going to close up real quick because these guys are back here standing ready to serve you. But he says here that it's because of this attitude and these actions that you have that some of you are sick and some of you have even died. Now, if you miss the first part where he's rebuking the church, telling them that, hey, it, it's, it, may, it may even be better if some of you guys didn't show up. Here now he's, he's telling us something that really rocks our boat a little bit, doesn't it? That how we live could bring us certainly under some kind of judgment. And I, I've read all kinds of things from various commentators some say that what he was saying was that, that uh, those who are poor among you didn't get the care that they needed, didn't get the food that they needed. Therefore, many of them were sick and they died. And perhaps, perhaps there's some truth in that. There's some who took the other side of that and said, because of these people who were gluttons and drunks, that there were physical problems that came along with disease and, and the like that, that kind of took them out. But before we jump to one of those conclusions, let me say that there are times when God provides a kind of stern discipline within the family of faith. And I do not have the wisdom or the discernment to say that what you're experiencing, whether it, it's, it's from the hand of God or whether it's simply just part of uh, the, the messed up world in which we live, but I'll refer some of you this afternoon who would go, how do I manage this? How do I, how do I factor this in? Let me just ask you this afternoon to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5 and read about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And then we can, then we can talk about how God may or may not work based on our actions and our unwillingness to bring ourselves in line with the character and the person of Jesus Christ. And so he concludes, and I'll conclude in, verse, in these last verses. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, he said, I will give directions when I come. I would love to have been in Corinth when Paul showed up to hear the rest of the story. Corinth was Paul's problem child. Some of you have a problem child. You, you, you can understand this. They had been seeped in a pagan lifestyle for so very, very long. 
that when they came to faith in Jesus Christ, they had a hard time getting out of the old habits. We can understand that, can't we? We may have not have been seeped in the same kind of lifestyle that they were, but many of you have come to Christ out of lifestyles that were completely out of sync with the teachings and the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand this morning that doesn't mean you're not a follower of Jesus. It just means that like the rest of us, you got a little bit further to go. And we as a church, it's one of the reasons that, that membership in the life of a local church is such an important time, important thing is because as you are part of a local church, there is accountability, there is correction, and there is encouragement that can happen as part of the body of Christ. And that's what we all need. Whether we've been walking with Christ for a day or for a hundred years, we still need that church to help keep us walking together. And so as we prepare, Paul says, examine yourselves. So let me ask, let me ask these questions as we prepare to come to this table together. Question number one. If Paul were writing a letter to Grace Fellowship, what do you think he'd say? How would he commend us? And how would he rebuke us? Now let's take that a step closer to your doorstep. If Paul were writing a letter to you, what would it say? How would he commend you? How would he rebuke you? As we come to this table, let's take a moment to examine ourselves, to pray, and to prepare. Heavenly Father, we take this moment in silence to come and to, to ask you to speak to us, to show us if there's any sin we need to confess, any relationship we need to restore or any way that in our normal practices on Sundays that we hurt our fellow believers or harm the name of Christ in our community. So we take a moment, Lord, just to spend with you and ask you to shine the light into our hearts. says that if we confess our sins that you God are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness we are grateful for that in Jesus Christ Amen
And after the bread, Jesus took the cup, and when he thanked the Father for it, he passed it to each of them and said, This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Let us drink of it now in remembrance of him. Usually when there is an activity or a monument that is in memory of someone, and that person is dead and buried, and we won't see him again until glory. But in this instance, we're remembering not just a Jewish man, a Jewish prophet who lived a good life, did many great things, and was then buried and forgotten. I don't know if I stood in the exact place where Jesus was buried. There are two places, two places around Jerusalem that are considered to be the burial place of Jesus. Could have been either of those or none. But this I know. Wherever it was, whatever cave that Jesus' body was placed in, it is empty. For He is risen. We serve a risen Savior. He is not a dead prophet who is gone and only leaves us lessons and memories. He is a living Savior who has given us truth, who has given us promise, who has given us hope, and who said to us, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It is that Jesus that we celebrate together. It is that Jesus that we share with others. It is that Jesus who brings us together no matter where we come from, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are. We are one in Christ Jesus. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. For many of you, it's your story too. But if it's not your story, listen to me, if it's not your story, it can be. If you today are willing to say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Tried everything under the sun to fix this life myself, but just can't do it. I don't have hope of eternity. I, I, I hope for it, but I, I don't hope in it. I need Jesus. And let me encourage you today, we're going to sing a song here, and I just want to encourage you, wherever you are, just to come and say, is there somebody here today who can tell me what it means to follow Jesus, how I can have that life, how I can have that hope that never dies? And we would love to spend whatever time it takes to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. Many of you know we've been praying for people who are far from Christ. 
need him. And I want to let you know, I told you this last week, you don't have to, this is not like a drive-by prayer. We're, we're calling you to pray and pray and pray and pray, to do it relentlessly for that one who's on your heart, the one who won't leave your mind. And we've invited you that if you want to come and pray here, just to make this just a, a holy place and an altar before God where you can come and lift that name up, then we want to encourage you to do that. You can do that as we pray, as, we, as people come forward. You can, you can do this. If you need a church family, a people to whom to, be, to belong, not just a place to attend on Sundays. Listen, you've got enough to do. But if you need a place, a people, where you can belong, then I invite you to consider making Grace Fellowship your church home. And so as we sing this final song this morning, if God's laid it on your heart to make some decision, if you need to pray, whatever it is you need, this is your moment. This is your time. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to ask for us to stand and sing. So let me pray right now. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this time around this table. We're grateful for the truth of your word, even though sometimes it, it challenges us and, and maybe even confuses us from time to time. But about one thing, it's clear. We have a Savior who was sent from you, Father, who died on Calvary's cross, who rose again on the third day, who ascended into heaven and who's coming again. Lord, we trust in him. We cling to him. We need him every moment of every day. I pray for those who need him this morning but have never taken that step of faith that today might be their day. I pray for those who need a church home, a place where they can belong, a people to whom they can belong. Lord, if you're leading those, those, that, that person, that, that family, into the life of this church, today might be their day. And Lord, I pray, along with my brothers and sisters here, I pray for my one, and I will do so relentlessly until they take that step of faith. I offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.